Have you ever considered that when God withholds something from us that we desire, that he does so to get us to where we need to be? In Genesis 43, the persistence of the famine drives Jacob's sons back into Egypt. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend It is tempting for us to question the apparent harshness of Joseph in these chapters. But as we noted in the previous chapter, God is using Joseph to deepen repentance. And here we see the fruit of it in the life of Judah. While no doubt the family sought to make the corn stretch for as long as possible, eventually it runs out. And so in the opening 14 verses, we discover Jacob once again appealing to his sons to return to Egypt for corn. In the face of Jacob's reluctance, Judah appeals to his father that he must let Benjamin go with them, and he does so in such a way as to ensure the security of his brother. He describes his relationship to Benjamin as one of a surety, essentially pledging himself to take the place of Benjamin should there be anything that would threaten his life. So although Judah had failed to protect his brother Joseph, now he's willing to go above and beyond the call of duty to protect Benjamin. Jacob, realizing their need for corn and the dire circumstances they find themselves in, relents, and he appeals to them to take four things. First, they should take a present for the governor of Egypt, made up of the luxuries that they could still produce or acquire in Canaan. Second, they should take double money. Perhaps this is to compensate for the supply and demand and the increase of the price of corn, or perhaps with an idea to buy more corn that would last them a longer time. Third, they should take the money with them that was put into their corn last time in case they would be charged of non-payment the last time they were there. And fourth, they should take Benjamin. In verses 15 through 25, the brothers make their way out of the presence of Jacob and into the presence of Joseph back in Egypt. And immediately, Joseph recognizes his younger brother, Benjamin. And we should perhaps be slightly surprised by this because the last time they saw one another, Benjamin couldn't have been more than 10 years of age. And now he's a young man in his 30s. He would have changed greatly. But perhaps it's just by the process of elimination that Joseph puts his eye upon Benjamin and suspects that's his younger brother. Upon seeing Benjamin, Joseph instructs the ruler of his house to I have everyone gather for a midday meal. And once again, due to conscience, Joseph's brothers are reading this in a negative light. They are wondering whether or not they're actually going to become bond slaves to this Egyptian. And so fear is gripping their hearts. Thus, they begin to appeal to the steward. Verse 19, they go to him and say, look, look, we didn't know that the money was, was in our bags. We had no idea. We didn't put it there. And they're trying to ensure that they are not misunderstood for what happened the last time they were in Egypt. However, the steward is quick to give acknowledgement to God and indicates his awareness of their background, that is the background of Jacob's sons and their beliefs. And so they prepare themselves for the noon meal and the present that they have brought for Joseph. And so from verse 26 through verse 34, once again, we see Joseph's dreams being fulfilled. Only this time, it includes Benjamin as well. Joseph, knowing who Benjamin is, then asks, is this the younger brother you mentioned on your first visit? 
then blesses Benjamin and it appears that as the words are coming out of his mouth, his heart is broken, his eyes begin to well with tears and immediately he runs from that place and goes to his chambers, probably his private quarters or bedroom, and goes there to sob before God. He is overwhelmed that God has brought his younger brother into his presence again. After sobbing profusely and having to wash himself and ready himself, Joseph then returns and maintains the segregation customs of the Egyptians. And so his brothers are in one room, the Egyptians who eat are in another room, and Joseph is on his own. However, Joseph instructs that the way his brothers are to be seated is in accordance with their age. This leaves them stunned, surprised, trying to figure out what is going on. And then he makes provision for them, giving five times as much to Benjamin, perhaps even as a test to see whether that envious nature of his brothers, when they see one of them being more highly favoured, is still present. And so we come to application. One, obedience to parents does not rule out humble appeals to them. Some have this idea that authority means no one can ever say anything against your will, criticise, or make alternative suggestions. But this is not the meaning of authority. Judah's appeal to his father Jacob is respectful and necessary. And those in authority, like Jacob, should have the humility to listen to inferiors and to respond positively when they bring a suggestion or an argument that has weight and warrant. 2. Constancy is a virtue, but obstinacy is not. So said Matthew Henry and he is right. We are not infallible, and although it is good to be resolved in a good course of action, it is folly for us to stay in that course of action just for the sake of showing some kind of virtue when we know that it's the wrong path to take. Not every chosen path is the correct one, and when wisdom reveals a better way, it's right for us to respond and course correct. This is what Jacob did, and those of us in authority, fathers, mothers, whatever context, we must be prepared to recognise when we're on a wrong course of action and not be headstrong just for the sake of it. 3. Men must not take sinful advantage of others. Jacob notes that the money being along with the corn in the sack the last time may have been an oversight, and if so, then it rightly should be returned to its owner. If you're playing sport or even during seasons of war, it's certainly acceptable to capitalise on the mistakes of our enemy or opposition. But if your employer writes a cheque and accidentally there's an extra zero added on to that cheque, it is right for us to go back and have it corrected rather than take advantage of our neighbour. Exodus 23 verse 4 tells us if we meet our enemy's ox or ass going astray, that we are to return it to him. We're not allowed to ignore it, even though it's our enemies. We're not allowed to take it, even though it's our enemies. We have to get it back to him. Let me underline, God's justice does not permit us to take advantage of any neighbor's shortcomings or misfortunes, even if they are enemies of ours. 4. No amount of luxuries can make up for necessities. Canaan had honey, myrrh, balm, almonds, so on and so forth, but it had no corn. No amount of jewellery can substitute basic clothing. No amount of friends can substitute the companionship of a spouse. And so it is spiritually. No amount of good books can substitute the Bible. No amount of good works can substitute man's need 
for the righteousness of Christ. Christ is the water that quenches our thirst. He is the bread that satisfies the soul. And he instructed us in John 6.27 not to labour for the meat that perishes, but to labour for that meat which endures onto everlasting life. Now, most people have to learn this by painful experience. You don't. You can listen to what I'm saying and you can recognise that nothing, no amount of wealth, no amount of anything can substitute Jesus Christ. Make sure you value him, number one, always in your life. And finally, we should contemplate the inevitability of afflictions. In this chapter, Jacob has to wrestle with the awareness that there's a possibility that the most prized thing in his life may be taken from him. And what we see in this chapter is actually an increase of faith. He begins to be referred to as Israel once more. And he begins to trust God despite his fears. In verse 14, we find him crying out, God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and goes on to say, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This isn't fatalism. This isn't Jacob saying whatever will be, will be. This is him strengthening, being strengthened rather, in faith and resting in the knowledge that God is in control. And should God see fit to remove my most precious child from me, then so be it. The will of the Lord be done. Dear Christian, there's an important lesson for us to learn in this, and it is that we too will go through these tests where God may not, in fact, take away the most prized thing from us. Or he may. It may be like Abraham, where he is asked to offer up Isaac, but God doesn't permit that to occur. It may be like here, where Jacob is brought to a feeling that he must let go of Benjamin, even though God is going to take care of him. But we just never know. We never know when the day will come that he may take that which we value most. And so the posture to be in continually is that God is good all the time, he is sovereign over every detail of what you're going through and what you most fear is not worth trying to hold on to if God purposes something else for your life. May God give you and give me constant resignation to his perfect will. 